Genesis 22, beginning with verse 1. This is a passage uh, that's very familiar, and here's what it says. Now, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder, there's that word, yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on uh, Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And uh, the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke to his, Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said for himself, The lamb for the burnt offering uh, <clears throat> God will provide. And they went on together. And then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there was behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide. That's Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray. Father, it is so good to be in your house. I thank you for each one that is here. It's a good crowd. Father, they've chosen to be here. They could have done anything else. But, Lord, they came to worship you because they love you. So, Father, remove any hindrances from our mind and heart from hearing from you. Let your Holy Spirit have freedom to move. Speak to us in a very clear and understandable way. Father, I especially pray for those within the sound of my voice who have never accepted Jesus Christ publicly as their personal Lord and Savior, that you will convict them this very hour of their need to do that. For the other decisions that need to be made, Father, we leave those in your hand and give us the courage uh, to do them. We are the sheep of your pasture, Lord, and we want to obey you. So have your way with us today. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, Captain uh, Charles Johnson was a captain in the Army uh, during World War II. He served as a chaplain of his unit. And as a chaplain, he had been teaching them about God answers prayer. And he answers it sometimes almost immediately. One particular day, he decided to be uh, with his uh, unit and as they flew on a bombing mission in the South Pacific to bomb the Japanese-held islands. 
Their bombing raid went successfully, but on the way home, they noticed the plane was losing altitude. It began to sputter and, and spit, and there was another landing. It had a wide enough beach, and they managed to safely land. Now, as they were doing their reconnaissance, they discovered that before them and behind them, the Japanese were about a half a mile away, and yet the Japanese had not seen them land. The staff sergeant came up and said, uh, uh, Captain, You've been teaching us how God answers prayers and answers them right away. So now's your chance to prove it. You get to praying. What are they going to do? They got the Japanese army almost encircling them, a half mile behind, a half mile in front. They have uh, a plane with no fuel, and their base is hundreds of miles away. Well, he didn't give up. He felt God was going to work to show this man that he was truly God. And so he began to pray there on the beach, and he prayed until bedtime. And at bedtime, they sacked out, but he continued to pray. For some reason, that same staff sergeant got up about 2 o'clock thinking he heard something on the beach and went down to the beach. And what he discovered was this. There was a a metal raft there with 50-gallon drums full of high-octane fuel. And in just a few uh, minutes, they had their plane fueled up, and within a few hours, they had flown home. When the uh, Air Force did a search to find out how that fuel got there, they found out that there was a U.S. tanker uh, that had drifted into the lanes where the Japanese were, were torpedoing ships, and the captain, afraid that if they torpedoed his ship, it would go up in smoke, had his cargo loaded on these, uh, these metal rafts and set them adrift 600 miles from where they had landed. And somehow God in his providence, according to the captain, had taken against the tides and the winds and had docked that raft on the beach not 50 yards from where their plane had landed. All that really tells me is what I think our passage is about today. God is the provider of all our needs. God is the provider of all our needs, and so I wanted to look at that and and see two or three things. The first thing I see is from verses 1 and 2, it's this. It's the test. It says that came to pass after these things, all the things that Abraham had been going through. It came to pass that God tested Abraham and said to Abraham, he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. What's the test? The test is this, that God provides even when our circumstances are confusing. God provides even when the circumstances are confusing. I want you to think about it. God is allowing Abraham to be tested He's not testing to bring out bad or for evil. He's testing to bring out what he already knows is there, the good. He's testing so that he'll understand that God is dependable in all situations. Sometimes the tests that we're allowed to go through are for that same thing. Do we understand our God is our provider of what we need, that he provides even when the circumstances are confusing? See, God has already been testing or allowing Abraham to be tested. He tested him to see if he was willing to give up his past when he said, Come follow me to a land you don't know and leave everything else behind. Abraham heard from God. He got up and followed God to the promised land. Do you realize that the only thing that I can find that Abraham owned till the day he died was when Sarah's wife died, he brought the cave of Machpelah. And yet he looked forward to the day when his descendants would inhabit it. 
See, but he'd been tested for his present because he was there in that land and he did not have an heir. And God said, I'll give you an heir, a male heir, and it'll be from your loins. And, and you need to understand, he'll inherit. And then you'll have, uh, as your descendants will be like the sands of the seashore. That test lasted for 25 years till he had Isaac. By chapter 15, we see he had passed that test. And now he's tested the past and the present, and now is, will you give up your future for me, Abraham? See, Isaac is the one whom all the promises of God are tied into. See, in the chapter before this, it, it, in chapter 21, verse 12, it says, In Isaac shall your seed be called. In other words, Isaac's the one. And you can see the confusion probably running through his mind and his heart. But you said he was the one, and yet you're calling me to give him a burnt offering. A burnt offering was sacrificed to Mount Moriah and sacrifice Isaac, the son you love. See, other pagans did that. God had never asked for anything like that. And he didn't really want it, but he wanted to see if Abraham was willing to give up his future. You see, his ambition. Now, you need to understand something. Abraham was not called to understand this test. Abraham was not concerned, not called to understand the circumstances. It was not revealed to him. God didn't sit down and say, now here's what we're going to do. Okay? He was called to obey. And see, we understand that, but realize what this test really represents. It goes against common sense. This is the only son. This is the son and the heir. This is the one who all the promises are bound up in. It went against human affection. When it says that he's the son of his love, it, it really means that. He's the son of his old age. He's the one that he'd been looking for. It went against human ambition, human understanding. It was confusing circumstances that he went through. Do we understand that? That God provides in the midst of confusing circumstances. Many people plan weddings and you plan for everything to go smoothly. And most of the time I want to tell you they do not go smoothly. There's always something funny happens in weddings. And I always think it's hilarious. The bride and her mother usually think it's not. Yes. Especially when my own two daughters got married. I thought a lot of things were funny. Elizabeth didn't think it was funny at all. But I've never heard of a wedding like happened way back in 1992 on May the 2nd. You see, there was a girl named Victoria LaMail and her fiancé, Roger Compton, got married that day. You probably don't remember it because I didn't remember it until I was reading, but their wedding had been well planned. I mean, they had everything lined up, photographer, flowers, caterer, limo service to take them for their, they're going to catch a cruise ship and go on their honeymoon. But that's the, the time that the riots in South Central Los Angeles broke out over the Rodney King incident. Those that don't know, you can look it up later, not right now on YouTube. The photographer canceled, the limo service canceled, the florist was there, and the caterer was there. And they decided they were going to get married anyway. And so in the middle of that church that smelled like candles and smoke from everything burning around them, they tied the knot. When asked about that, she said, this was our day. We had planned this day. We weren't going to let a bunch of ignorant people get in our way. We knew that the plan was sound. And they got married. And went on a honeymoon later. You see, riots aren't an everyday occurrence, but there are plenty of things that happen in our lives that 
we don't understand. They bump up against us. Against us. They, they, they hurt us. They, they cause us to wonder about our faith and what our God is up to. I mean, God, we're just trying to serve you, and, and this happened. And he says, I still love you. Trust me, even in the confusing circumstances, to be your provider. You see, God, in the midst of confusing circumstances, provides us His sure word that never changes. God, in the midst of circumstances, provides His sure presence. He promised He'll never leave us nor forsake us, no matter what the circumstances of life happened. And God still works out His sovereign will in the midst of those circumstances we do not understand. Even if it takes 50-gallon drums of fuel going 600 miles to get us home. So that was the test. But what about the trust? In verses 3 through 8, we have the trust. Now, I don't know about you, but see... Hearing that from God would have confused me, and I would have had to stop. But you see, Abraham trusted. He knew when he heard from God. He communed with God enough and spent enough time to God. He knew it was God's voice. And you see, God provides when we trust. Not only in the midst of circumstances, but when we trust in the midst of those circumstances. Uh, he was called to do the most difficult thing he's ever done. He was called to do something that didn't make any sense at all. And the only question was whether he would obey. Because there it is. It says in verse 3, Abraham rose early in the morning. He didn't dawdle. He didn't back up. He didn't quit. He didn't say, not me. He didn't say, uh-uh. It says early in the morning, he saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him. Isaac, his son, he split the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and went to the place God had told him on Mount Moriah. On the third day, so you see, it's not just a little bit away. Can you imagine each day walking with your son that God has told you to sacrifice? Each day going to night and you eat your supper and then watch him sleep thinking, I'm going to have to sacrifice him. And on the third day, can you imagine the tightness in your throat and your heart starts beating faster because however God had showed him, he knew when he saw that mountain a long way yet to go, that was the place. He still didn't stop. Third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship. And we will come back to you. That's the key. We will come back to you. See, it's a three-day journey. But he said, we will come back to you. You understand, remember what God told him to do sacrifice as a burnt offering his only son on the altar. But somehow he had enough faith in God's promises and what God told him about Isaac that even took a miracle. Even if Isaac had to raise from the dead, God wasn't going to fail his promises. So we are coming back after this ordeal is over. Wow. Now some scholars disagree, but maybe I think that Abraham had um, some view of the resurrection. That God was not the God of the dead, but of the living. As he told Moses. He believed that promise. He goes to obey God, even if it takes a miracle. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us about that incident. Hebrews 11 verses 17 through 19 has this to say about it. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. His only begotten son. Uh, the Greek word is monogenes. It means only well loved, the unique, the one of a kind son. The same word that it's used of Jesus in the New Testament where it says he was the only begotten son of God. Unique, well loved. You see, God provides when we obey him. One of my favorite people reading history was Mark Twain. Now, Mark Twain was a scoundrel. Maybe that's why I like him. I don't know. And Mark Twain had a lot of interesting little sayings. And you never could tell. You never could pin him down. Most think that he didn't believe in God. He attended church occasionally. But we just don't know. He never really professed it that much. But a certain businessman there in Boston was talking to Twain. This businessman was very rich, and he was known for being notorious and, and uh, double-dealing and all kinds of bad business practices, but he always came out ahead. He, too, went to church, and he told Twain, One day before I die, I'm going to go to Mount Sinai and read the Ten Commandments from the top of it. And Twain, without missing a beat, said, Wouldn't it be better if you stayed in Boston and practiced them? You see, obedience starts and ends for us with God's Word. We need to ask, do we believe God's Word enough to practice it? Do we trust God enough to obey Him? Some don't do that. Well, that's good for you, preacher, but I'm in the business world, or I I have to live in the real world, or etc. Then you don't believe God. Some don't believe God because He said, without Jesus, you're dying and going to hell, and yet you've never responded to Christ and humbled your heart and asked Christ to save you from your sins and be the Lord or the boss of your life. Some don't believe Christ because it says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You say you do that, but you see, all through the New Testament, Christians were members of a local baptized body of believers, and you say, I don't want to be. Can I meddle enough with that? Do we believe God's word? Do we trust him enough that he provides us the power and the person of the Holy Spirit to live as we should, to follow him as we should, to obey him as we should, and to seek his kingdom and his righteousness? There was a trust there with Abraham. I cannot imagine going through what he went through for those three days. But then there's the truth. In verses 9 through 14, we have it. They came to the place of which God had told him. Abraham built the altar, placed the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar. Upon the wood, Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Listen to me. God knew what was going to happen. God just wanted Abraham to know. 
what was going to happen. And I think he wanted Isaac to know the provision. And it goes on. It says, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took. You see the substitution there? Took the ram and offered it for the bird offering instead or in place of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place. The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. You see, God provides in confusing circumstances. God provides when we obey, but God provides according, now get this, according to his kingdom plans and purposes. Not just willy-nilly. He's not the genie of the lamp. He's not our lackey to give us everything we've ever wanted. It's according to his kingdom plans and purposes that he provides. Man. See, he had already planned and promised to bless Abraham with many descendants. God's greatest purpose, I believe, in his life was that in him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Jesus Christ. A descendant from him and from Isaac. You see, on the surface, it appears that God was taking all those promises back. He was an Indian giver. But you see, he would know God from now on as Jehovah Jireh, he who provides my greatest needs. When his heart was breaking, when his soul was troubled, when he ached with what he had to do to obey his God, he learned Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides. Do you know the one who provides? Have you let him provide? But you see, this is so rich to me because in this little story here, this recorded for us, you see a picture of what God's going to do. Because what God did not let Abraham do in sacrificing his son, God was going to do in sacrificing Jesus. You see, it fulfilled the promises when Jesus came that he was the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. He builds the altar, he puts the wood, he lifts his hand, and God stops him. See, God didn't believe in child sacrifices. He didn't want Abraham to do something like that. But he wanted Abraham to be willing to give all that he had. God may not ask us for everything, but he wants us to be willing to. Do we cling to things more than we cling to God? Then we haven't trusted Him as our provision. There's certain people more important to us than God. And we need to examine that relationship. Is a certain job more important to you than being a witness in your workplace? What are you doing? What we don't catch a lot of times, unless you start looking it up on maps, is where Mount Moriah was. You see, Mount Moriah is where Solomon built the temple where they would offer sacrifices. More specifically, it said on a place on Mount Moriah. So I think there you've got where Jerusalem's going to be built. And some scholars are divided. Some think that this was the exact spot where all the lambs were offered all those years. I believe that it was a little bit further over. At a place called Mount Calvary. Where God would not let Abraham sacrifice his son. 
But God's only son would die on a Roman cross at that place. God leaves nothing, nothing to chance or happenstance. He did what he wouldn't expect Abraham to do. Why? Because he provides according to his kingdom, will, and purposes, and plans. We are part of that kingdom plan. We are part of that kingdom purpose. And God wants to use us and our families for righteousness as he accomplishes those plans and purposes. It's a matter of what we expect from God. It really is. You see, the truth is God provides according to his plans and purposes, but do we expect to be a part of that? I had a preacher tell me one time that you can have faith like a thimble, faith like a bucket, or faith like a 50-gallon drum. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you bring a thimble to God, Gary, he'll fill up the thimble. If you bring a five-gallon bucket... He'll fill up the five-gallon bucket. And if you bring a 50-gallon drum, he's going to fill up the 50-gallon drum. So what kind of faith do you really have, Gary? I said, ooh, I didn't like that. So I ask you, what kind of faith do you have, a thimble, a bucket, or a drum? See, I'm not a name-it-and-claim-it guy. I'm not a blab-it-and-grab-it guy. I don't believe in that. What I am believing in is that according to God's power, According to God's plan, according to God's purposes, He will do it through us. That's the way He's chosen to work. Really, God limits Himself through us. Are we going to be obedient? Are we going to believe His plans and purposes? Are we going to trust Him when confusing confusing circumstances hit our lives? What have we done? See, you need to ask, am I a part of his kingdom? Have you been saved by Jesus Christ by asking him to do that for you? You need to come in rededication because you've been trying to do it on your own and all you bring to God is a little thimble every once in a while? You need to come for church membership, surrender to Jehovah Jireh, the great provider. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.19? I know that my God shall meet all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Christ. Jesus. Do we believe that? Physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Some need to be saved from your sins this morning, and you need to come forward and do that. Some need to come in re-education. Some need to come and join the church. Some need to come and put your needs right here at the God who does provide As we obey, even in the midst of circumstances we don't understand, according to His will, plans, power, and purpose. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand and sing. And you come and make your decision as you need to make it. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you're about in our lives. We thank you for your word. I thank you for how it challenges me and others, Lord. And Father, you just have your way with us in Christ's name. Amen.